The book of Acts, starting in chapter 21. Luke says they sailed, and he gave the all the different places they sailed by, and then they landed at Tyre to unload the ship's cargo. And they met with the disciples that were there, and they stayed there for seven days. And the disciples kept telling Paul through the Spirit not to set foot in Jerusalem. And, you know, they... but But Paul understood, he had heard this before, that he was going to have... Uh, difficulties once he once he got there and so they they left uh, all the wives children everybody escorted them out of the city kneeling down and praying on the beach they said farewell to one another and then they went on board the ship and they returned home again or the disciples returned home again the the Paul Luke and whoever else was with them went back on the ship then they arrived at Ptolemaeus and they greeted the brethren stayed there for a day and then left to Caesarea. And then they entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the, remember he was one of the original seven, kind of the first one we saw go out and evangelize and start to bring the word past Jerusalem. And uh, he was the one that went to the eunuch from Ethiopia as well. And they stayed with him, and he had four virgin daughters who were prophetesses. And as he was staying there for some days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, This is what the Holy Spirit says. In this way, the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. So it was a good Old Testament style prophecy. (laughs) And uh, when he heard this, we as well as the local residents began begging him not to go to Jerusalem. He's been told many times, and now this guy uses a belt to tell him (laughs) you're going to be bound up when you go to Jerusalem. But Paul answers, what are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but even to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And so he wouldn't be persuaded. So they fell silent and they just said, the will of the Lord be done. And if you think about it, um, so, so Paul, obviously, because he's being warned by many people, he's obviously been shown very clearly by the Lord that this is what you're to do, that you're going to suffer. Maybe he knew he was going to die, um, but this is what you're to do. And so he was doing it. And if you think about it, all the letters he wrote, which, I mean, by words, he wrote less than, Paul, than uh, Luke. We're reading now, Luke and Acts, I think, are more words than Paul wrote. But by by the volume of the number of different letters that Paul wrote, uh, he wrote, I don't know, it feels like he wrote most of the Bible, most of the New Testament, excuse me. And he he did most of that while he was imprisoned. He, by by obeying the Lord in, in uh, being captured, he spent years in captivity. And so he had a lot more time because before he had been actively working, trying to speak to people uh, the word of God. And he did that from jail too, but all of a sudden he couldn't go anywhere. So he had a lot more time to write. So by obeying the Lord in this, he was able to write all these letters that we read in the Bible. And so, you know, that's a, a huge blessing to us that he sacrificed himself in this way. And so then they headed for Jerusalem. Also some disciples from Caesarea came along and they took uh, Mason of Cyprus with them, a disciple of long standing with whom we were to lodge. 
And they arrived in Jerusalem. The brethren there received them gladly. And the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. And he greeted them, began to relate all the different things that had happened through their ministry with the Gentiles. And when they heard it, they began glorifying God. And they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed, and they are all zealous for the law. And they have been told about you, that you are teaching all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children, nor to walk according to the customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Therefore, do this that we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take them and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads and all will know that there is nothing to the things which they have been told about you, but that you yourself also walk orderly, keeping the law. But concerning the Gentiles who have believed, we wrote, having decided that they should abstain from meat sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what is strangled and from fornication. So Paul did this. He took the men, he went and purified himself along with them, went into the temple, gave notice of the completion of the days of purification until the sacrifice was offered for each one of them. So the word, even there's thousands of people that have believed, but they're still zealous for the law of Moses. And there's rumors had spread about what Paul was teaching out there, that Paul was teaching the Jews living out in the diaspora, uh, that they did not have to follow the law of Moses. And we we know from Paul's writings, he he understood that that there was no salvation through the law of Moses. There was, but, but he wasn't out encouraging the Jews to break away from the law of Moses. They lived it their whole life. There's no reason to, to not live it. Of course, none of them had lived it perfectly. That's where this all gets ironic, um, because no one had ever lived it perfectly um, other than Jesus. But um, but as far as the kind of living along that way, the, um, he still did. And he didn't encourage others, Jews, not to. But that's the rumor that had spread. Again, ironically, Peter had already had a vision saying he could eat pig, which is a pretty big part of the law that they were not to do, <laughs> where God said, if I've made it clean, it's, you should consider it clean, even though I, formerly I told Moses it was unclean. So, uh, you know, people getting stirred up about matters of, of law, and uh, they, you know, Paul was in great danger because of it. So he was trying to show, look, I still honor the law of Moses, and so I'm going to do this thing to, uh, you know, purify myself and have an offering made for myself. And so he was doing this for seven days, and it kind of at the end, almost at the end of this, the Jews from Asia, where he had spent a lot of time, uh, they saw him in the temple, and they began to stir up all the crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, come to our aid. This is the man who preaches to all men everywhere against our people and the law and this place. And besides, he has even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, in the city with them, and they supposed, so they're guessing, that Paul had brought him into the temple. So the people were provoked, they rushed, and they grabbed Paul, they dragged him out of the temple, and the doors were shut. 
and they were seeking to kill him. And a, a report came to the commander of the Roman cohort about all the confusion going on. And at once he took along some soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the commander and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. And the commander came up and took hold of him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. And he began asking who he was and what he had done. And there's just this great uproar and confusion. And so they're pulling him, they're pulling him up the stairs. And soldiers are, are you know, carrying him so that the mob doesn't kill him. And, uh, and they're all, people are shouting, away with him. And Paul says to the commander, may I say something to you? Obviously in Greek, because he says, do you know Greek? Then you are not the Egyptian who some time ago stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness. And Paul said, I am a Jew of Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no insignificant city. And I beg you, allow me to speak to the people. When he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the stairs, motioned to the people with his hand. And when there was a great hush, he spoke to them in Hebrew. And then we go on to chapter 22. It's interesting that all the different languages being used. Um, he really got the uh, centurion's attention by speaking Greek to him. And now he starts speaking to the people in Hebrew. And when they hear Hebrew, they got quiet. It got their attention. So you could really get someone's attention by speaking their home language to them in those days. Uh, I, I'm sure that's true. And I mean, we have a lot of English and Spanish here. But, uh, well, it's probably true. If I, I'm not proficient in Spanish. But if if I walked into a place and started uh, unexpectedly speaking Spanish, I'd probably get more attention from somebody from a Spanish speaker than than I might normally. So it's probably true here. But the, you know, there were more languages back then. A lot of different people from a lot of different places all together. So that's probably still true in super multicultural cities like uh, New York or Houston today. Anyways, he says, brethren and fathers hear my defense which I now offer to you and when they heard that he was addressing them he yeah I said that part I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia but brought up in this city educated under Gamaliel so remember Gamaliel is a very famous well-respected Pharisee strictly according to the law of our fathers being zealous for God just as you all are today I persecuted this way it's like the this way that you're upset about me I used to I used to throw these people in jail. I was in charge of killing Stephen. I persecuted this way to death, binding and putting both men and women into prisons, as also the high priest and all the council of the elders can testify. From them I also received letters to the brethren and started off for Damascus in order to bring even those who were there to Jerusalem as prisoners to be punished. And then he starts explaining the road to Damascus, how it was noontime, but he saw this huge bright light. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He said, I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, the Nazarene, whom you are persecuting. And he says, those who were with me saw a light, to be sure, but they didn't understand the voice of the one speaking. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to him, get up, go on into Damascus, and there you will be told of all that has been appointed for you to do. But he was blind, so he got led by the hand to Damascus. And then he says, a certain Ananias, who was very devout by the standard of the law, and well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me, saying, Brother Saul, receive your sight. 
And at that very time, I looked up at him and he said, the God of our fathers has appointed you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear an utterance from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to all men of what you have seen and heard. Now, why do you delay? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. And so then Paul explains, it happened when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple that I fell into a trance. And I saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves understand that in one synagogue after another, I used to imprison and beat those who believed in you. And when your, the blood of your witnesses, your witness Stephen was being shed, I also was standing by approving and watching out for the coats of those who were slaying him. And he said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. So they were listening along until he said that he was sent to the Gentiles. And then they got in an uproar again. They yelled out, away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And so they were crying out, throwing off their cloaks and tossing dust in the air. <laughs> They're throwing a fit. <laughs> like the children. So the commander ordered him to be brought into the barracks, stating that he should be examined by scourging, scourging <laughs> so that he might find out the reason why they were shouting against him that way. But when they stretched him out with thongs, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, Is it lawful for you to scourge a man who is a Roman and uncondemned? The centurion heard this. He went to the commander and said, uh, What are you about to do? For this is a man is a Roman. This man's a Roman. The commander said, Tell me, are you a Roman? And he said, Yes. And the commander said, I acquired the citizenship with a large sum of money. And Paul says, But I was actually born a citizen. Therefore, those who were about to examine him immediately let him go. Uh, the commander was afraid when he found out that he was Roman because he had put him in chains. So, you know, commander's now breaking the law, so now he's in trouble for treating a Roman citizen in this way. And so, on the next day, wishing to know for certain why he had been accused by the Jews, he released him and ordered the chief priest and all the council to assemble and brought Paul down and set him before them. Let's do one more chapter, 23. So now Paul's speaking to the council, and he says, Brethren, I have lived my life with a perfectly good conscience before God up to this day. The high priest Ananias commanded those standing beside him to strike him on the mouth. Uh, sorry, I, I read that all like it was a quote from Paul. So he said, I, I've lived a perfectly good conscience before God up to this day, and Ananias has him uh, hit. And it was very reminiscent of what happened to Jesus, right? Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Do you sit to try me according to the law and in violation of the law, order me to be struck? And then, you know, apparently, I, I don't remember that part of the law, but apparently, I mean, Paul knows the law. He's a Pharisee. And uh, he says, you're trying me according to the law, but you're breaking the law. What doesn't even make any sense. And, uh, but the people, of course, are on on the, the uh, side of the high priest. And so, they say, do you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I was not aware, brethren, that he was high priest. For it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. I don't know how he doesn't know that he's high priest. Other than, I think, formerly his son-in-law was high priest. Anyways. My pause button's not working. So Paul gets a new strategy. He sees that there's both Sadducees and Pharisees there, 
and he knows what makes them tick, right? The things that they argue about. So he yells out, brethren, I am a Pharisee, a son of a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. I am on trial for the hope and resurrection of the dead. And so as he said this, there was all of a sudden dissension between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And the assembly was divided, for the Sadducees say there is no resurrection, nor an angel, nor a spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. And there occurred a great uproar, and some of the scribes of the Pharisaic party stood up and began to argue heatedly, saying, We find nothing wrong with this man. Suppose a spirit or an angel has spoken to him. And a great dissension was developing. The commander was afraid Paul would be torn to pieces by them and ordered the troops to go down and take him away from them by force and bring him into the barracks. But on the night immediately following, the Lord stood, stood at his side and said, Take courage, for as you have solemnly witnessed to my cause at Jerusalem, so you must witness at Rome also. Now, a group of more than 40 people formed a, a conspiracy, and they made an oath that they would not eat or drink until they had killed Paul. So they went to the chief priests and elders, and they said, you ask the Roman guards to to um, question him again, and when he's brought to you, we're going to kill him along the way. But Paul's nephew, the son of Paul's sister, heard about this, and he came and told Paul. And so Paul called one of the centurions to him and said, Lead this young man to the commander, for he has something to report to him. So he took him to the commander and, and said, Paul, the prisoner, called me to him and asked me to lead this young man to you, since he has something to tell you. The commander took him, and, and he told him all about it. So the commander says, okay, don't tell anybody about this, and he makes plans to move him. I always wondered if those guys died of uh, dehydration, <laughs> or if they broke their, uh, <laughs> if they broke their oath. I'm guessing they broke their oath, but they, you know, they called a curse upon themselves for this. So the commander calls two centurions and says, to "Get two hundred soldiers ready by the third hour of the night to process or proceed to Caesarea, and seventy horsemen and two hundred spearmen." And so they were also to provide mounts to put Paul on and bring him safely to Felix the governor. And he wrote a letter to him. And the letter writes or goes, "Claudius Lysias to the most excellent governor Felix, greetings." When this man was arrested by the Jews and was about to be slain by them, I came up to them with the troops and rescued him, having learned that he was a Roman. And wanting to ascertain the charge for which they were accusing him, I brought him down to their council, and I found him to be accused over questions about their law, but under no accusation deserving death or imprisonment. When I was informed that there would be a plot against the man, I sent him to you at once, also instructing his accusers to bring charges against him before you. So the soldiers, in accordance with their orders, took Paul and brought him by night to Antipatris. But the next day, leaving the horsemen to go on with him, they returned to the barracks. When they had come to Caesarea and delivered the letter to the governor, they also presented Paul to him. And so he asked him, where are you from? He says, Cilicia. He said, I'll give you a hearing once your accusers arrive. And he was ordered to be kept in Herod's praetorium which is the governor's official residence. And so we see it's very similar to Jesus, where he keeps being, he's accused of things, and, and these, um, these judges are judging him. And of course, this process hasn't, there's going to be a couple more judges here in Caesarea, and then he's going to go to Rome, and we never really see that judgment. But um, they, they keep finding him innocent. <laughs> uh, and yet the, uh, so... There's there's nothing that he's guilty of by way of the world, um, 
but still you see the world against him and especially the religious people it's interesting think about who is stirred up against paul during all his journeys the jews so the religious jews and then also the was it artemis the name of that uh goddess in ephesus that uh they they got really stirred up because um they made idols to to the goddess um so it was the religious people whether uh according to the law of moses given by god or whether to pagan gods it was the religious people that really got stirred up and zealous against him if we look at today a lot of the things a lot of the movements that are stirring people up today are giving are being given religious overtones they're they're painted with a picture of right and wrong they're not willing to discuss issues or reason about them they will only they declare you evil and wrong if you don't agree with them that's a religion and so it's interesting you see that stirring up in our day um re, you know more and more zealous religious people again they wouldn't say that they have a religion but they do say that they stand for what's right and that anyone who's against them is what's wrong instead of saying no that they have a difference of opinion and we can all have our own opinions <laughs> they say no you are wrong and you are evil and i am right and i am good because of my opinion and typically upon things that have never worked well ever <laughs> so it's quite fascinating to see this stirred up but we see how it was stirred up against paul and again as i've said many times we are living in days that are very similar to those days only ours are going to be greater according to the word of god um but that also means that evil stirring up against us will be great and so you you can see what was stirred up against Paul and we can kind of get clues as to what we might expect going forward. And that's it today. Uh the Lord bless you. And and you know, let me let me just add to that. <laughs> sort of a downer note, but it, the day of the Lord, scripture talks a lot about the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is incredible blessing to those who give themselves fully to the Lord and are willing to submit to the Lord and receive that blessing. to those who are against the way of the lord the, the the way of the lord the day of the lord is terrible and so those are the type of times that we are in and so they get stirred up and it's and it's terrible on one hand but to us it is glory peace and joy and righteousness in the kingdom and that's how we end today god bless you